0: Thank you so much for that special music. I almost want to just give him my time, right? And have some more of that. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. Well, good morning, everyone, once again. I am so excited and glad to see every single one of you this morning. Amen. It's been it's been a minute since I've been here. Um couple, I think last week I was with uh, our brother is in the Hispanic ministry, so I was, I was here, but I was over on the other side. And then the week before, my wife and I, we were in Ogden, Utah. I had been invited to preach a series with uh, uh, a colleague of mine. We went to the seminary together, and so he had invited me a few... I think almost, last year, actually, was when I had the invitation, and so something we had pending. And so we were able to join him, and thankfully, God blessed in that series... I preached on, I chose an easy topic, you know, we preached on Daniel and Revelation and the prophecies of that. So um, there was a a bit of a scheduling kind of conflict that was, you know, out of my control. And so instead of having a week to preach, you know, those series, I only had, I think it was down to four days. (laughs) So, So, you know, to tackle Daniel and Revelation, but by God's grace, we did it and it was a blessing. We had about 100 people in attendance, I believe, in a combination between in-person and online. And so uh, it, was, it was a great time. But with that being said, it is good to be home. It is good to be in our home church, uh, worshiping with ev- every one of you that are here this morning. So uh, thank you for your prayers and your support and just uh, for, uh, for that time as well. Um, I know it's been too long of a wait, right? But we are finally, you know, tackling the long-awaited, much-anticipated conclusion to the story of Jonah, all right? And then at the end, I'm going to tell you about another series that we're going to begin uh, in the coming months. But uh, for now, we're going to wrap up what uh, is the story of Jonah and see what that final part of his story looks like and what the lessons are there for us as well. So with that being said, uh, let us have a word of prayer, and we're going to go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much once again for your blessings. Thank you so much, God, for being with us, for just uh, already, Lord, such a a special worship service that we've had for you this morning and that you've been a part uh, of as well. Thank you so much for just joining us. And as we dive into your word, Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to see the lessons that you have for us as we conclude Jonah's story. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to be uh, merciful and compassionate in the same way that you were in treating and dealing with Nineveh and with Jonah as well. So thank you, God, for hearing us. And all this I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So just to recap a little bit, uh, but up up until now in our story, we've seen Jonah run away from the Lord. We've seen him at the bottom of the sea uh, praying for deliverance from the belly of a fish. Right, We've seen him complete the mission that God had asked him to do in preaching against the city of Nineveh. And so now in this final chapter, chapter 4 of the book of Jonah, once more we find Jonah alone with his thoughts. Let's see what he is telling himself. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 has the following words for us looking at Jonah's experience coming out of Nineveh. It says the following... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me For it is better for me to die than to live. Now, I'm not sure if you can tell from those words, and I might be wrong, and you can correct me if I am, but it seems that Jonah is aware that God is not going to destroy Nineveh. All right, it seems that he picked up on that somehow, some way. He noticed that God had decided not to destroy that great city. And instead, he had decided that he was going to have mercy on that city and save them from their wickedness. And Jonah, Jonah had some feelings about that, right? He was very upset. And as we see in this verse, we see that he is angry with God about this. Now, it might come as a surprise to us, right, to kind of see, you know, Jonah, why is he so angry, right? Now, when we read the Bible, we read the Bible from, and I'm hoping we do, the majority of the time we read it from a perspective of that we know that God is merciful and gracious, right we see the city of Nineveh and we see that God is preaching against it and somewhere at the back of our minds because we know that God is loving and gracious and merciful we kind of see of course God is going to repent of course he's not going to destroy an entire city because we know that God is merciful but when we come to it from Jonah's perspective We see something a little bit different. Now, for us, we see the promise that is read in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. It says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Right. So Ezekiel gives us a promise that the Lord has no pleasure in destroying the wicked. If anything, he desires the contrary. He wants the wicked to turn from their ways and live. He wants them to be saved. And so we think that Jonah would remember that. But somewhere along the way, Jonah forgot this little detail about God that he has been serving. And so when we come to his story, we see that Jonah had a perspective that he wants God to destroy this city. He wants him to the highest form of punishment possible from God. Jonah wants that for the people of Nineveh. Now, when we talk about salvation, we have to consider all of the parties involved, right? On the one side, we have God himself, the judge and creator of the entire universe. He made every single thing. There is nothing that moves and breathes without him knowing about it and that he has not given his permission for it to be that way. So we have him on one side and on the other side, we have his creation. You and me, AKA, we have humanity. Now, character determines the actions that we commit. And so the character of each of these parties determines their ultimate destiny and what they're going to do as life unfolds. Now, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Now, I recall when, and I think I mentioned this before, but I remember thinking back to when I was younger, thinking that salvation was the hardest thing to obtain. I remember thinking that it was so difficult, I would not be surprised if I made it to the pearly gates and God himself told me, you know what, you just missed the mark, (laughs) right? Because I used to think it was all about being extremely and 100% perfect in the way that we lived our lives. And so I thought, you know, there's just no way that I can be that way. There's just no way that I can be perfect the way that God wants me to be perfect. It's impossible, and then you have preachers, of course, that will affirm that and say, it's impossible to be perfect. And then, you know, in my young mind, I was like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I've been thinking. There's just no way that I'm going to make it. Right. And I remember my pastor, uh, as, I w- as he was preaching one of his sermons, um, I remember about 1%, if even, of the sermons that he preached. But I remember one in particular where he asked us, he asked a congregation, he said, you know, is it easier to be saved or to be lost? And all of us, you know, we were hemming and hawing and thinking, you know, which could it be? Is he looking for a clever answer? Is this a trick question? You know, but none of us really knew exactly what the answer was. And he told us at the end of his sermon, he said, it is easier to be lost because we serve a God that is looking for any opportunity to save us. And so when we have a God that is looking to, uh, to save us, it's, it's easy to be saved because that's what He wants for us. He wants us to be saved and to be in with Him for the rest of our lives. So that is good news for each one of us. That God is not looking for any reason to condemn us, but He's looking for reasons to save us. Amen? That is such a beautiful thing. Now... The next question is, does humanity deserve such a special gift? Does humanity deserve that much mercy and that treatment from a God that is also well within His right to judge us, right? When we consider humanity on the other side, we realize pretty quickly that we are a big problem. We are significantly messed up in our ways. You, and any one, of us, any one of us here this morning can think of a handful of people That maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, right? But we would probably consider. You know what? I would not be surprised if that person did not make it into the pearly gates, right? In many situations, we act more like Jonah, and we and we want the wicked to be destroyed. And and by the wicked, you know, we mean everyone else. You know, there's no way that we would consider ourselves, you know, numbered among the wicked, right? We we can't be that bad, right? We 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 think of everyone else, everyone else that has done so much worse than us. But we don't think to consider ourselves in that number. Now, I want us to, I want everyone here to close your eyes for a second. Right, right, we're going to do a little bit of exercise. You know, no peeking. You know, everyone just close your eyes. I'm going to count to three, all right? And on the count of three, I want us to open our eyes, and I want you to look directly at the worst person in the room. All right? So one, two, three. Three. All right, everyone's still looking at the ground or has their <laughs> eyes closed, <laughs> you know, so no one wants to look at the worst person. But I imagine that maybe someone sprung to your mind in that moment, right? I guarantee you that, you know, humanity is like that. You know, we can be very fickle, right? We, we categorize people, we, we judge people without even realizing who they are. Uh, we go by what they 've done, and we think we have them pegged, and all right th- that person is a good person, that person is a bad person, sometimes without even realizing it, we are passing judgment left and right, not realizing that the God of the universe is doing the same to us and Every day we make these snap judgments about people, and we we put them in these categorized categories and, and we think, you know what. We think we understand who, who, who deserves to be saved and who doesn't. But I'm so glad that God's standards are not our standards. I'm so glad that God judges a little bit differently than we do. Now, when we come to the story of Jonah, right, we see once again, Jonah, the Bible says he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord, you know, this is exactly what I meant. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you weren't going to keep your word and destroy these wicked people. You know, so he says, therefore, God, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. In chapter 3, we heard about the people of Nineveh. And we heard about how wicked they were. And we also heard that they weren't going to be destroyed at all because they had made a decision. They decided that they were going to obey God's word. They were going to obey God's voice. Through the prophet Jonah. And so every single one of them. From the greatest of them to the least of them. From the king. From the richest to the poorest. All of them in sackcloth and ashes. Repented from what they were about to do. From all the evil that they had done. And because of this they even said. Maybe God will have mercy on us. If we decide to change our ways. And sure enough God did decide to have mercy. Because of that repentance. Now when we see this. We see that Jonah heard about this, and Jonah was so upset that he tells God, It's better for me to die than to live in a world where you will have mercy upon such a wicked people. And that's exactly what Jonah is saying. Now, this sounds a bit dramatic, right? We, we might roll our eyes out, Jonah, a little bit. But when we look at it from his perspective, just for a moment... We remember that Jonah was part of God's people. He was part of the people of Israel. God's chosen people to bring about salvation to the rest of the world. And God had chosen them and he had led them through so many difficulties and trials. He had been with them every single step of the way. He had cleared a whole promised land for them to inhabit. And he had cleared all of Israel's enemies before them. And he had done that because he loved his people. Now, Jonah, in the middle of all that grace and mercy and help and and just blessing that God had bestowed upon each of them, he got it into his head that only God's people deserved those blessings. And so anytime God decided to, to bless another nation or to bless another people, Jonah's perspective was those people don't deserve it. Because only God's people deserve it. Only God's chosen deserve it. Only I deserve it. Right? I don't don't recall Jonah being upset in the belly of the fish because God decided to have mercy upon him. Right? He was upset because God had mercy upon Israel's enemies. Assyria was one of Israel's enemies. Nineveh was part of Israel's enemies. And so when when God called him to preach against that city... Uh, Jonah was, I'm all for the destruction, I'm all for the fire and prison, I'm all for wiping them off the face of this earth. But one thing I cannot get on board with is if you, oh God, decide to have mercy on them. And so he says, I'd rather die than live in a world like that. And so it's, it's coming into these feelings that we then see the reason why God wanted Jonah, of all the prophets, to go to Nineveh. At the start of this series, you know, I I mentioned that this series, this story is more than just about the people of Nineveh. It's more than about the sailors that were saved through Jonah's uh, disobedience. It's also about a runaway prophet. And this prophet had a problem within his heart. And I am so glad that we serve a God that doesn't just abandon us when we've done everything that he's wanted us to do, right? Because it's not, God doesn't want us just to do stuff for him. He wants our hearts. He wants to follow after us and he wants us to follow after him. And so now that the message has been preached to Nineveh, now that the people of Nineveh have been saved, now God is coming after the pride that is within his servant Jonah. And Jonah says, I need to teach you a lesson. And he's tried so hard up until this point. He's thrown him into the sea. He's, you're right, he's he's done all of these things. He's even had mercy upon him. All of these moments to try to get Jonah to realize the kind of God that he serves. And to realize that he had a problem of pride within his heart. Now, whenever we say to God, if you don't give me this then I'm not going to continue to follow you. Then whatever we define by that, this, that is a thing that has taken the place of God in our hearts. That has become an idol for us. And so Jonah was telling God, God, if you don't reserve all of your blessings just for your people, if you don't reserve reserve all of your mercy just for your people, then I am not going to follow you. For Jonah... His pride in his people and his nation had become an idol for him. And you know how God feels about idols. He does not like that. Because God wants to be first and foremost in our hearts. In every single area of our lives. The moment that something starts to take the place of God in our lives, that is the moment that God says, you know what? I want to be in that place. And I need to do something to get that ...off of your heart so that I can once again reign over your life. And so he sends these circumstances, he sends these situations the way that he did with Jonah... ...to try to get Jonah to realize, I need to be first in your life. And that is what is going on with Jonah. Now, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your country or your people. There's nothing wrong with wanting your people to succeed. But when that pride becomes too great... That it takes God's place, that it takes a throne in our, in our hearts, and it becomes more important than God to, to the extent that we begin to tell God, if you don't do this, if you don't give me this, then I'm going to abandon my faith in you, and I won't follow you anymore. That is when it becomes a problem. Timothy, Timothy Keller, in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, he writes the following. When Christian believers care more for their own interests and security than for the good and salvation of other races and ethnicities, they are sinning like Jonah. If they value the economic and military flourishing of their country over the good of the human race and the furtherance of God's work in the world, they are sinning like Jonah. Their identity is more rooted in their race and nationality than in being saved sinners and children of God. Jonah's rightful love for his country and people had become inordinate, too great, rivaling God. Rightful racial pride can become racism. Rightful national pride and patriotism can become imperialism. So we see that over God's, over Jonah's heart, something else had taken the place. He loved his people more than he loved his God. And God said, you know what? We need to take care of that. And I am so glad for the God that we serve. That he sees those moments in our lives, and instead of just leaving us, abandoning us, God says, I'm going to show you the error of your ways, because I want to be first. And he gives us an opportunity to change our direction. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, do we deserve that mercy? Absolutely not. Do we deserve that gift? Absolutely not. Because we have made our decisions, we, time and time again, we put other things before God. We put other things as our idols, and, we, and, we, and then we have the nerve to judge other people and say, oh yeah, they have idols, they're prioritizing something else over God, right? When we do the same thing every single day. Now, I am so glad that God doesn't treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. He treats us the way that He wants that he that he treats us the way that he wants to treat us and that is in the way of love and mercy amen Amen. now we judge jonah but we consider the same question of god's mercy and sometimes we we judge jonah but we can consider the same question about god's mercy right and sometimes it can be a difficult pill to swallow you know i i totally admit that you know sometimes maybe jonah's uh perspective was a bit extreme but sometimes we we can see kind of understand a little bit from his perspective too i remember um, hearing the story there was a mother who had a son and this son was in her eyes the best son in this entire world right he could do no wrong and on the other side of the world or on the other side of town there was another son now this son had no parents uh, his mother abandoned him or didn't really know where he was. His father abandoned him as well. So he had he lived with this constant craving for a father figure in his life. He wanted a family. He wanted community. He wanted just someone to love him for who he was. And so he decides to join a gang. Now, to join this gang, there were some pretty steep requirements. And the requirements being that they gave him a gun... And they said, the very next person that comes out of that convenience store, I want you to shoot them and take their life. And as luck would have it, or as unfortunate circumstances would have it, that mother's good son just so happened to be running an errand for her and coming out of that convenience store. And this young man that was craving community and love shoots that son and he passes away. And so now, of course, the family that he thought was going to be there for him in that moment, all of a sudden disappears the moment that he is arrested and put on trial and sentenced to to a certain amount of time in jail. Now, in jail, that desire for love and acceptance doesn't go away. And all of a sudden, he gets a call one day that he has a visitor. And as luck would have, who do you think came to visit the murderer, or this murderer, the mother of the good son, she wanted to get to know the person that had taken her son's life. So she gets to know him. She visits him not just once, uh, not just that one time, but she comes the next week, the following week. She starts to give him Bible studies. She starts to study the and teach him about God's love and mercy and forgiveness. And sure enough, he decides to accept God and accept that forgiveness. And he decides, uh, and now comes a day that he gets to leave prison and leave where he, where he was. And he leaves and, and he finds that he's got nowhere to go. He's got no family. He's got no friends. And he has no home to actually call a home. And who do you think would open up their doors to allow this murderer to come into her home? The mother invites him and says, you can live with me. And she decides to, and he decides, okay, you know, he accepts and they get to know each other a little bit more. And, they, and, they, and they're living together. And they're, uh, they're, they develop this friendship and this bond. And then sure enough, one day she decides to approach him. And she says, I recognize that you have no family. I recognize that you have no one that loves you. I recognize you have no one that accepts you. I want to know and I want to ask you if I can adopt you into my family. How many of us? would do the same the murderer of our child adopt into our family i t- i heard that story and it was tough to understand that because in my mind it was how how is that possible friends when the love of god has touched your life sincerely and dramatically transformed how you see grace and mercy work in this world you're able to even love the very enemies that you have right now. And that's what happened in the life of that mother. We we want to be like Jonah, where we want to see the wicked destroyed, and we want to see the wicked pay for what they have done. But when we look at God and the way that he sees the world, we see a God that wants to save this world. Now, I don't know if many of us have ever read the book, The Shack. Have, Have many of us ever read that book? I think a few of us, right? Now, that book, I remember reading when I was in high school, and I, and I, I didn't understand what, exactly what the book was. But once I started reading it, I was like, wow, is this a true story? It's not a true story, by the way. But uh, it's, some, it's, it's told from the perspective of someone that had a, an encounter with God in, a, in one of the most difficult period of their lives. They had just lost their daughter. Someone had kidnapped her, murdered her. It was something very horrible. And he's questioning God about all of this pain and all these circumstances. And, and God tells, you know, God is doing his best to explain all of this, his reasoning, the why and all of this. But there's a point in the book that has always stuck out to me. And it's the point in the book where God talk, talks to this father and he tells him the life that led up to the person that committed that crime against his family. All the decisions and all the pain that that person had gone through that led him to make it doesn't excuse it. But that just helped him to understand what that person was going through. And so in the, in the story, the story goes that, then he, that, that God is now explaining that because he wants to tell the father one thing. I want to give even that murderer a chance to be saved. And the father is like, well, how, how, how is that possible? How can you do that? You know, and it's like, God is like, because he is my child too, And that is just, we might never understand, right? But God doesn't ask us to understand how He does things. He simply asks us to trust Him. Trust that He knows exactly what He is doing. And as long as we keep Him first, all of those reasons and all of those whys that we don't understand right now, He's going to explain to us one day. Jesus said the following, Those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Amen? If the grace of God was not like this, friends, then what would become of us, right? The Bible says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All of us are in that place of Nineveh needing God's mercy and grace. C.S. Lewis writes the following, he says, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy, and failing miserably at that. We will not be happy until God reigns first and foremost in our lives. Things start to change when we see ourselves in just as much in need of God's grace as everyone else. I remember someone used to say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That means it doesn't matter if you are in the highest areas of government, the most important politician. It doesn't matter if you are the poorest person on this world. When you are before the foot of the cross, all of us are in the same need and begging for God's mercy and grace. Salvation is for the people that are imperfect and the lost. Those that are, have that pride that say, you know what, I don't need that. I'm sorry, then, yeah, there, is, there definitely is no place, you know, in, in the presence of Jesus. But those who have come to the foot of the cross and admit their, their mistake and say, you know what? I have been prideful, Lord, and I need your help. That is the person that God wants to save. Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 says the following, "...that Jonah went out of the city, he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade so he should see what would become of the city." Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now isn't that an interesting scene? The messenger, prophet of God, he is sitting on the sidelines just outside the city because he is hoping that maybe, just maybe, God was joking and God is still going to destroy the city and he wants to be the first one to witness that. And so he, he, he sits there and he gets, the Bible says, you know, he gets hot. He becomes uncomfortable. And so that God sees his discomfort and sends a plant to give him some shade so that he is not uncomfortable. Right now, of course, he gets upset when a little worm begins to destroy that plant and takes away his shade, and he becomes even angrier at that. He says, oh my goodness, you know, why is my life like this? And the plant, the shade is gone, and he begins to moan his life and what has become of it. He is upset because the shade is gone. He is upset because his God is too merciful. He is upset because nothing is going the way that he wants it to go. But our ways are not God's ways, and God's ways are a mystery to us. God says, I will have mercy upon who I want to have mercy, and I will save who I want to save. And I'm so glad for that. We have two groups of people here. We have the stubborn and cold prophet on the one hand, and the wicked people looking for mercy on the other. This story in the Bible is there to show us that no matter where we are or what our status is, we see this spectrum of salvation that anyone who desires to be saved can be saved. You can be the Christian of all Christians, you can be the poorest person, you can be the sinner of all sinners, and still there is a place for you before our merciful God. And I love that God looks on his servant, and instead of refusing to, or instead of you know, choosing to destroy him, instead of judging him, he decides to have mercy and continues to try to work with him. And he calls him out on this, right? He's, uh, Jonah becomes upset about this plant in the shade that's gone. And, he, and God says, you know, why are you so upset about this this plant? You didn't work for that plant. You didn't do anything to to make it grow. And yet you cry about it, right? But how about my children? That even children that I have in Nineveh, that I have seen from even before they were born. I knew their lives. I knew intimately who they, what they were going to be named, what their story was going to be like. I knew them. And I've loved them. Why are you upset that I should then have mercy on my own children? The story of Jonah challenges us with the question of who is really worthy to be saved. As a Christian, are we really working for the salvation of our fellow brothers and sisters? We want to say yes, right? But then why are there still those around our circles of influence, our friends, our coworkers, our families even, who have not heard about the Jesus that we serve? I remember um, my church growing up, uh, this was always an example that stuck out to me that uh, stayed with me. But I remember one day uh, we decided to go out into the uh, community. The church was seated kind of uh, like Fort Collins is right now. You know, we had a neighborhood right next to us. And all of a sudden, one day we decided, uh, the evangelism team decided, you know what, let's go see and, and just go door to door, invite them to our series. That we we're having or one of our events that we were having. And when we came back, you know, we were sharing a bit of testimonies of the people that we met and things like that. The church had been there for more than 20 years. And that neighborhood never knew that that church existed. Never had there been someone that had gone to them and invited them to come and visit the church in the entire time that that church had been there. And yet, but we had done series, we had done so many events and different things like that, but how can it be that we never considered the people that were right there in our backyard, right? We say that we are working for the salvation of our community, but why are there still so many people that don't know about the Jesus that we serve? Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, God questions him and he says, And should I not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The Lord is saying to us this morning, he knows. He knows exactly who is in our communities. He knows who is in our churches. He knows exactly who needs to hear that word. What he's waiting for is compassionate and merciful servants that will go before him and share the message of God's love and mercy. Jonah chapter 3 says the people of Nineveh believed God. And that was the thing that changed the course of their destiny. They believed God's word. They believed his message. My question for us this morning is, do we believe God when he says that he wants to save everyone? Do we believe God when he says that there is no one that is out of his reach? Sometimes what holds us back is, you know what, I, I see the life of, uh, of my dad, I see the life of, of my, my brother, and I just don't know it. They don't seem receptive, it doesn't seem like the right time, but friends, God knows and loves your family and your friends as well. He knows exactly, all he asks us to do is share the word, and he will take care of the response. He will take care of opening that heart to be receptive to his message. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And this is a promise for all of us to hold to today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do we believe that promise this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Salvation is not complicated. It's just available for everyone that wants to receive it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy that we have seen displayed in the life of Jonah and his ministry. Thank you, God, that even in our imperfections, you still love us. Even in, when we make mistakes, you still call out to us. And Lord, even when we are so prideful, we are so prideful even in the moments when we think that pride isn't even in our lives, Lord. But so thank you so much that even in those moments, you are our God and you choose to be merciful to us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for everything that you've done for us, for this church, for the moments that we've enjoyed your mercy and your blessing. Help us to share the message of your love with those that are around us. Friends, don't let friends live without Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we want to be friends that tell our friends about you so that they can enjoy heaven with us in eternity. Thank you, God, for being with us. And all this I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.